A life really lived is the stuff valuable content is made of. Incredible life experience, fresh perspective. I'll ask the question. With a genuine smile, tie-dye, and Birkenstocks. And you want me to work for the government? Not gonna happen. <laughs> Growing up with a brother that suffered from bipolar depression. Well, then it became, instead of like all the aggression and anger, he got very internal. She became the youngest person in her firm to pass the Series 7 stock license. It was like martinis and cigars in their office and, you know, dancing girls. You're pulling little pieces from the air, like little pieces of dust fluttering around, and it makes up the big ball of dust that you are. I think it's different for everybody. I think it's different for every culture. Like, our answer in America is going to be far different than someone in Zimbabwe's answer or, you know, a Bushman in Australia. Everyone's got a different, different answer. As John Mayer always says, the heart of life is good. It's just fantastic. Incredible life experience, fresh perspective. I'll ask the questions. Ladies and gentlemen, the show starts in three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. I'm your host, Tina Merriman, with I'll Ask the Questions podcast. My guest today has had quite an interesting life story that has always been in and continues to be with a genuine smile, tie-dye, and Birkenstocks. Her name is Becky Ostrowski, and her story includes growing up with a brother that suffered from bipolar depression. She actually put herself through college and grad school while she was working full-time in a male-dominated industry, which is also a very uh, interesting story in itself. She became the youngest person in her firm to pass the Series 7 stock license. She eventually met her military husband who uh, flies helicopters, which is just totally another cool story in itself. And three weeks, I believe, after uh, they got married, he left on deployment for Iraq and came home five months later. And four days after that, her brother was tragically killed in a car accident. Then they had their first baby while he was also deployed. And she's traveled back and forth across the country alone with three children to visit family. Um, she eventually became the director of a Montessori school quite by accident. So the theme of her life, she describes as a story of independence, perseverance, and gratitude, um, but also radical love, which I'd love to hear more as to what she really means about that. So Becky, maybe um, start a little bit with where you live now, and then we'll kind of go right back to your childhood and how you kind of became shaped the way you are, which is a great shape. Yeah. So I, we are currently in um, Windy, Oklahoma. My husband is currently serving um, Vance Air Force Base. He's an instructor pilot. So by trade was a helicopter pilot for 14 years, uh, deployed nine times doing that. But when we um, basically kind of looked at like our last couple of assignments, what would we want to do? He said, you know, I want to fly something different. So he is a T6 instructor. He's fresh out of college, um, but have never shaken a stick before how to fly aircraft. So he's got a little less than three years left in the Air Force, and then he gets to retire and do whatever he wants. And so I, up until about a year ago, I was a stay-at-home mom for nine years, and my kids all attend a Montessori school here in our little tiny town, a traditional Montessori school, which is what I did when I was a little kid. I did Montessori. And the director had gotten caught embezzling a bunch of money. And so the school board obviously had to release her from her services. And they said to me, hey, uh, you're here all the time. You volunteer and you have a business degree and you have a background in management. 
do you, um, I don't know, do you want to be a director of a school? And so here I am accidentally uh, the director of a Montessori school. We serve ages two through 12 and we have about a hundred so kiddos awesome. and that's, that's my current status. Every day is a blur. Absolutely. Okay. So take us back to back in the days of little Becky and kind of how chaotic it was in your household. I mean, I think a lot of us have a version of that story, but um, yours is definitely well, quite unique. So when I was a little girl, um, I have a brother, had a brother that was 22 months younger than me. And it became pretty obvious when he was like at five or six years old that there was something going on in the background. At the time, they thought it was um, like learning disabilities, ADD, you know, he got tested for all these things. And this was the mid early 80s where it was becoming mm. kind of cool for your child to be mm. diagnosed with a thing. And now it's, it's just very commonplace. And we know that there's so many layers and levels and, and spectrum disorders and ADD and, and hyperactivity and all these things. Um, but back in the 80s, it was, it was a new thing and it was the cool thing. But as time went on and he was being treated for various forms of ADD learning disabilities, mm. which turns out he didn't actually have, um, mm. it became obvious to some of us, even as young as I was, that really what was going on was he had some sort of anxiety, bipolar, depression, disorder type of thing. Um, he would do things like he'd be building with, they weren't Lego at the time. He had something called constructs, basically the same thing, but a little different feet, you know, they were different tools, but he would build something. And if it didn't work out, he would go violent. He would like kick walls and knock things off. T I mean, he would just go into a fit of rage and like, we could never figure out cause it. And as he got older and, and puberty and it just got worse and worse and worse. Well, then it became, instead of like all the aggression and anger, he got very internal. He got very mm -hmm. quiet and he wouldn't really talk to anybody. And he just, he was like a loner in the sense that, you know, James Dean was a loner. Like, don't come near me. Don't bother me. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And as the older sister, I was half in the like, mm, you're not really fine, dude. Something's going on. And half in the, well, screw you. I'm just going to avoid you. If this is, if this is the mm. tack you're going to take, then Interesting. Know, I'm going to let you have it. Take your road, right. you know, do it your way. You know, looking back as I got into my twenties probably wasn't the approach that I should have taken, but as a teenage girl trying to find my own way and do my own thing, I was basically at the end of my rope, sick and tired of the whole household revolving around him and his mm. mood and what's he going to do? What happened today? And walking on eggshells so we don't piss Matt off and all these things. And I just decided, you know what, I, I need to live my own life. And, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, quote, he's my parents' problem. Um, mm. And I just, decided I'm going to do what I can for myself to get out of the situation, to make a better life for my own sanity and to not let myself get dragged into the chaos and dragged down by it, bogged down. Um, mm -hmm. And that basically kind of set the stage for where I am today at 43, because I decided when I was in high school to get straight A's, have full-time, basically full-time job. I worked 40 hours a week at two, 20 hours at two different jobs as a high schooler, um, almost straight A's, was active in sports, active in orchestra, and had a boyfriend, a serious boyfriend. So I was doing all the adult things mm -hmm. that I thought were necessary to get me where I wanted to be when I was like 15, 16. You know, I thought I was the hot shit. So in my attempt to avoid it all, 
in the background, like everything with my parents, my brother, it was kind of getting worse and coming to a crescendo boiling point. But I was off, you know, working and studying and orchestrating and violining and all these things. I graduated high school. It was a Friday night and Saturday morning. I got up, loaded a U-Haul and moved to New Jersey. Uh, like literally wasted no hours. time. Oh no, it was 12 hours. Literally, wow. it was like 7 p.m. Friday, 7 a.m. Saturday. I was out. You know, moved to New Jersey, lived with a boyfriend and all the things that go with that when you're 18 years old. And then he and I end up breaking up. Long story short, I had to find an apartment. So this is where it gets really funny and twisted, but I'm looking for an apartment in the newspaper. Yes, the newspaper. It was- That's how we did it, people. And yeah, that's how it rolled back then. And so in the newspaper, no luck with an apartment, but I ended up finding this, um, a job posting. This was before Monster and Indeed, none of these things existed. I found a job posting and it was for an administrative assistant in an investment office. And I was like, this is it. This is the thing. This is what I should probably do because I, you know, I'm very organized. I love numbers. I've always been the type of person that can like grasp that thing and understand it. And I had started my college experience living with this boyfriend as a physics major. I had an advisor tell me, well, with this degree, you can either teach, mm -mm, no, or work for the government. Heck no. Here I am in like, you know, tie dye, listen to the Grateful Dead every day. I'm like, you know, damn the man. And you want me to work for the government? Not going to happen. <laughs> so I switched to being a business major and I was like, this is so perfect. I have to move out on my own. I'm going to get a new job. It's going to be a whole new life. Everything's going to be peaches and roses. What I didn't anticipate was the fact that the investment industry is so male dominated that mm. back day, it was like martinis and cigars in their office and, you know, dancing girls. Mm -hmm. And if anyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, that's I was just a legit, say. oh yeah, it's really, really was like that. It's not anymore for yeah. anyone that's investing now. Yeah. Um, but back in the eighties and nineties, it was literally like an episode of like swingers. It was right. ridiculous. And here I come in all my like peace oh, and love boy. and like, you know, <clears throat> but it all worked out. And I worked for that company for a good, geez, 14 years. I think the story is kind of unraveling here, but basically I decided that I was going to go in a completely different course than my like natural spirit would indicate that I would go in. Mm. So it all stemmed from me trying to get myself out of my parents' house, get away from all this chaos and do something that I would be good at, but wasn't like natural soul. This is where my heart, you know, would have lied had I stayed at home and just gone to college like a normal kid and all that kind of stuff. I worked for that company for 14 years. I did it in the Philadelphia branch office, which is where I started. That was the newspaper ad. I did it when I moved to Las Vegas and then we moved to Tucson. I ended up in Las Vegas because I met my military husband. It's actually, you know, traditional Americans. We met in a bar um, <laughs> because he didn't live there. He was in Las Vegas. Uh, he was in his first assignment out of pilot, pilot training, flying helicopters in Vegas. But he came home for Christmas and we met in a bar. And of course, you know, then they fell in love and then they did the long distance thing. And then Becky eventually moved to Las Vegas and then they got married. And here we are, you know, 15 years and three kids mm -hmm. later. But all this time, like all the while, I am fighting this battle with 
with myself. Like, this isn't me, this isn't me, this isn't me. And there's this funny day in my career where um, the broker that I was working for, who, who I'm still really good friends with, he was a very wealthy, is a very wealthy man. And he would always give me things like Louis Vuitton purses and like Tiffany gift cards for, for, you know, my birthday and Christmas. And it, I'd be like, Oh, super cool. Thanks. And meanwhile, I'm like riding the train every day with an LL Bean backpack mm-hmm. and I'm wearing like Birkenstocks on the train. Mm-hmm. Like it just, the two worlds didn't, match. it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That should have been my clue right there that this wasn't the right fit for me. But of course, I'm living on my own. I'm like, I've got to make money. I've got to pay my rent. I'm good at this job. I keep getting raises and promotions. I'm just going to stay. So one day he, you know, was asking me, you know, how come you don't ever use the things that I give you? And I said, you know what? The problem is you're a little bit Gucci and I'm a little bit LL Bean. And that has been like a funny line um, that I always think back on because it's true. Like the real Becky is you know, camping and muck lucking and going crabbing. And I'm not going to be carrying Louis Vuitton bags and, um, you know, going out for martinis with the Richie Rich guys on Fridays. It's just not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, back to how I grew up, I was stuck in this cycle of like, fix the problem, fix the problem, not solve the problem, mm-hmm. more like fix it by avoiding it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, do you think so um, I met my husband? Do you think part of it is because there's just I'm swirling in my head how many people are going to relate to this, but do you think part of it is extre- extremities, not like your body extremities, of being extreme? <laughs> meaning, when something is so extreme, as in the extreme chaos, you go to the exact extreme opposite of order and schedule oh, yeah. in order. I mean, to you have to swing the pendulum, and you need that much force to do it. Oh yeah, for sure. In fact, I've even said something to that effect in the last year, year and a half about how working in the finance industry to me was like the order inside the chaos. Mm. Like stocks are what stocks are. They go up, they go down, you Mm. buy them, you sell them, you trade them, you know, you, you figure out percentages of allocations and you get more conservative as you get older. I mean, there's like a science and a rhythm and a, and a, like a latitude to it that there isn't inside regular life, but it wasn't at the, I can look back at 43 years old and be like, that is for sure why I did that. But at the time it was like, no, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. And it's what you do in your twenties and you need to make money and you need to make lots of it. And it doesn't matter if it harms other people and there's no altruism to what you're doing at all. It's just what you do. Hindsight is 2020. I, oh yeah, sure (laughs) is. And I, so I meet my husband in a bar and he lives in Vegas. We long distance for two years because I was in graduate school and I didn't want to leave like Philadelphia and and grad school and have to start over. Two years of long distance, I move out to Vegas and the whole move was, like the things that happened to me are just ridiculous. So my (laughs) movers take my thing to Vegas. The day that I woke up to get on a plane and leave the East Coast and move to Vegas forever and ever and ever, that very morning... My dad wakes me up and says, we're going to have to get to the airport early. Somebody brought a bomb in a shoe on a plane and now they won't let any liquids on. It was that very day that it was like no liquids on planes, no more than three ounces. That was 
before 9-11, you guys. That was, yeah. that was right after 9-11, you guys. That was like the day. So I'm, it's 2006, I guess. So it's like five years after 9-11. And I'm laying in the bed thinking like, okay, I'm about to move across the country. I'm not married to this guy. I'm moving across the country. And like terrorists are bringing bombs and shoes on planes. Like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. You're like, is it a sign? <laughs> right. I, my dad shows me the news and literally there's lines of thousands of people because they're, they're standing at big trash cans in the airport throwing everything away that was in their carry-on. What should have taken like a four-hour flight, it took me 14 hours to get to Vegas. I finally get there at 2.30 in the morning. Meanwhile, meanwhile, part of the story, I get there and he's not there. He's in Albuquerque training. So a friend of ours had to pick me up the airport with her baby at 2 a.m. All of my bags are soaking wet because because of all this chaotic travel, they had sat on the little luggage train cart thing out on the runway for like seven hours. They're soaking wet. Um, I get to his apartment in Vegas. He's not there. It's 120 degrees outside. The air conditioning in his house is broken. So this is the beginning of my done? relationship with my <laughs> current husband. And all signs, Tina, all signs point to get the hell out. Don't do it. This is not the right thing. What were you thinking? But I stayed the course and, uh, you know, I ended up working for my same company out there, still continuing with the 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 spirit lie of you want to be in business. You want to work mm. for an investment firm. By this point, I had my master's degree. So I was in management. So I was an operations manager, um, which came with like a, you know, $30,000 a year raise, thus solidifying the fact that mm. this is where I should be. This mm -hmm. is what I should do. The dangling um, carrot. Oh, for sure. Just kept kind of plugging away. You know, he deployed, he came and went all the time. We, we got married, but it wasn't a big hoopla. We did, uh, we lived in Vegas. So we did a Vegas wedding. In oh, December. there you go. <laughs> yeah. He deployed about Three weeks after we got married, he didn't want to deploy and leave the girlfriend home in case something happened. He wanted us to be married. So we get married. As Tina said in the intro, we're married for five months. He came home on May 13th, 2007, and Ugh. we were supposed to have our wedding reception for June 9th at my in-laws in their backyard. Um, but on May 18th, a mere five days after my brand new husband, who I've not even gotten to live with married... Um, he came home five days later on May 18th, my brother died in a car accident. And so we're basically, we had gotten up, it was a Saturday morning. My brother died kind of Friday night and a Saturday, it was Saturday morning. And we had gotten up to take my car to get the brakes fixed or something, you know, some innocuous married life thing. And on the mm -hmm. way home, I get this phone call from my dad and he says, are you driving? I said, no, Jared's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. He said, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, mm. okay, what, what's up? You know, if you know my dad, my dad's a bit of a, um, <laughs> a slow talker. So you never really know. That's my dad. I love that like guy. Rabbit holes, right? Isn't Herbie full of rabbit holes? Like you're walking yes. along the graph. You don't know where you're going. <laughs> um, and so I, of course, think he's telling me some random Herbie thing. And he says, your brother was in a, I'll never forget these words verbatim. They ring in my head all the time. Your brother was in a very bad car accident. And I say, is he okay? And my father says, no, he's dead. Oh my God. Just like that, dead pan. I start screaming to the point where I'm like, dad, shut up. I'm like, I'm like yelling. Jared pulls the uh. car over. 
because he's like, what the hell is she, what is going on? Uh, I just handed the phone to Jared. I was like, I can't even, I made my dad tell him. I couldn't even uh, say it. Uh, I couldn't say it out loud. Jared and I fly home. We help with the funeral. My parents were like uh, catatonic most of the time. They couldn't really function. So Jared and I had to like deal with the mm. director and all this kind of stuff. But it was the weirdest. I mean, it's tragic to lose your brother or to lose anybody. I mean, you just lost someone, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's just rough. The weirdest thing to me though, was the fact that it was like my parents there our whole lives growing up and like his teenagerhood was rough and then they had this weird not obsession with him like prodigal son obsession mommy's little boy but like they wanted to always make sure he was okay and he was safe and he was protected and that he didn't have that his anxiety depression whatever it was didn't cause too much of a struggle and a strain for him so that he could feel like he could have a normal life well, the weirdest thing to me, like revelation during not so much the service, which was my brother had a pretty awesome funeral. Oh, know, totally. Like one, I played drum set he, with no uh, underwear on at his service. Just yeah. so yeah. you know. So my brother, when we died, was a Harley Davidson mechanic and he had a 200, instead of 200 or 21 gun salute, they had a 200 cycle salute and they had all these guys ride motorcycles around the funeral home. It was oh, awesome. It was really it was. Cool. Anyway, but it was like between the time of the actual funeral, he was cremated, so there was no burial, no gravesite. But between the, the service at the funeral home, and then we had like a luncheon at my parents' house, between those two and like the drive and talking to Jared and packing things up, I was like, in the end, after all the effort they put in to trying mm -hmm. to make things good for him, they couldn't save him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't a suicide. He just hydroplaned. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt because he's mad. But he, they, just, they couldn't save him. I mean, they tried and they tried and they put all this effort and all this mm -hmm. stress on themselves and all this concern and they poured and they poured and they poured and they just, they couldn't save him. And that was the time, it was 2007. So I'd been in Vegas for like seven, eight, nine months. That was around the time where I started to be like, you know what, F this noise. I don't want to do this life anymore. Mm. I don't want to be getting up, going to work basically helping the rich get richer when I could die at any moment, look back and be like, all I did was help the rich get richer. And I made a shit ton of money doing it. And I was really good at it, but it didn't serve a real purpose mm. in life, in the Ooh, world. Give me, give me the goosies. You know, got to hand it to Matt. He was yeah. the one, he was the one that he was always true to himself. He was never trying to be somebody he wasn't. He wore all black. He listened to Johnny Cash. He rode dirt bikes through bonfires. Like he was always himself, always himself, always himself. And I, somewhere along the line, lost the always myself, always myself. And instead of going to work in my Birkenstocks or my Doc Martens, I started riding the train in like heels and pearls, a little mm -hmm. briefcase in my little Wall Street Journal. Like I, this, this paradigm shift occurred, but he still, you know, stayed the course. Live free, die hard. So when he died, that was the first, right? Right. But I didn't, it's funny. I don't ever look back on it woefully. I don't ever look back and be like, God damn it. I wasted all that time. Mm -hmm. I just say, well, that was my path. I mm -hmm. took my path. I now can see beyond it and outside mm -hmm. it. But at the time I was just like, this is my path. This is what I'm supposed to do. It, and I always hate that. I always hate the phenomenon of it took a tragedy, make me realize, but it kind of did. Mm -hmm. He, my dad went to work one day. He took apart my dad's Briggs and Stratton lawnmower cleaned it and put it back together when he was six years old. And like, that's when we knew he, there was something in his brain that understands things that most humans just can't comprehend. Mm -hmm. 
like he could draw a schematic diagram of something from memory. It, I, it was like savant level. I, I can't even explain it. But so, you know, I, I had a tenuous relationship with my brother when we were teenagers, not because of my brother, but because of the way our household ran. Mm. As a mom, you just want your kids to be cool and be like not assholes and mm. have a good life and be happy. And they put so much effort into trying to give that to my brother. I think it just, she just couldn't even function. Mm -hmm. And my dad uh, spent most of his waking hours. He has ADD. My dad has adult mm -hmm. ADD and he would like flitter with work for a little while and flitter with the house for a little while. But most of his flittering was about my brother. Mm -hmm. um, so without my brother. They had so a pretty time, cool relationship though, right? It was when my brother was about 14 to about 18, it was God awful. But you know, they had 10 years of good relationship and mm -hmm. it was my dad's truck that my brother totaled when he died in the car accident. And, and just for anyone hearing this, it was a single vehicle accident. No one else was harmed. He hydroplaned and he hit a tree and TMI, but because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt and his window was down, he got ejected from the car and died instantly. So nobody else was harmed. There was no drunk driving. There was none of that. It was just a weird total Matt exact thing that would have only happened to Matt happened mm -hmm. to Matt. Mm -hmm. um, so there's comfort in that though, because it's like the craziest story. It's the kind of cool campfire drinking a beer story Matt would want told about him. Yes. That's exactly how he went out. Yeah. Circling back. So we're in Maryland for the funeral. We get back to Vegas. We have to go back to Maryland for the wedding reception. Well, technically New Jersey for the wedding reception. And in that time I said to Jared, I, I, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And he said, like us. And I said, no, no, no. Like the <laughs> job, the business thing that I just, I'm, I, I'm done. And he said, all right, I want you to make me a deal. He said, just write it out until we have kids. And I said, okay, that's fine. And at the time I'm like 30. So I'm thinking, well, we're not gonna be having kids all that far in the future, like I'm 30. So I continued to, to work uh, in Las Vegas. And then we moved to Tucson, 2008. I was pregnant with our first child. She was born in February of 2009. And so I decided when we got there, I was just gonna work part-time because I knew that I was kind of like, Mentally, I was two feet out the door, but financially and, and you know, career-wise, I was only one foot out the door. So I did like a step down and I just worked part-time. And then by the time we had our second child, our middle, we now have three, um, our middle child, I just was like, I'm done. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. What's funny about the stay-at-home mom thing is I always told my mom growing up, I am never going to be a stay-at-home mom. That's just a waste of a brain, blah, 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 blah. And then by the time rainbow fast forward over that I was becoming a stay-at-home mom. I couldn't wait. I was so super excited. We were going to go to the park and we were going to paint. And we were going to like play in the mud. It was going to be so awesome. Didn't count in the fact that my husband was going to work 75 hours a week and be gone seven to eight months out of the year. Mm -hmm. So all the sunshine and rainbows about being a stay-at-home mom quickly evaporated into reality, but I still loved it nonetheless. And I would have continued doing it had um, this job not come up. Kind of mm -hmm. by accident. You, you are such a cool person because you've always screamed independence since you were a kid. Now, I'm sure you were put on this earth with a certain protocol uh, so that your household or you didn't fall apart because you can't have everybody be a chaos brain. And I think everyone in your house kind of was to a point. I'm a chaos brain and you have an order brain. So just trying to imagine what it's like being an order brain in a chaos world as a child. Uh, it was your, what a great story of finding your independence. Now it was such a forceful way to prove your independence to yourself and like, but you needed it. 
you needed that order and that and that chaos had to be removed. But it's just interesting that you're in such this masculine energy. No wonder that you ended up in that masculine industry and did so mm-hmm. well in it. You know, I mean, what other job would you have ended up with when you are in that masculine place? Meaning not that women can't or shouldn't. I mean, I do real estate investing, you know, and work in a very masculine world. I'm very interested in the law of attraction and energy and stuff like that. So it makes sense. I know there's other people that are going to hear this and realize that, you know, whatever your mind is focused on and your heart is like, this is, this is how it is. This is what I believe right now. That Those are the experiences and the opportunities and sometimes the downfalls that you're going to attract. And I, I love how you said you don't re- look back and regret oh, I wasted all this time. There's some word you used, um, ignoring my spirit story or my spirit heart or something like, it's not a regret. And that's the thing about life on earth and being a human is we have this duality. You know, if, if you've experienced something in your life that's been so hard, it's just showing, it's showing you what you don't want, which just makes what you do want even more clear. It's just the threshold mm-hmm. and sometimes a tragedy that forces you to realize that life is short, life is a gift. And right now, this is all I know that I have is the, the moment and whatever time I may have to leave a legacy behind. And sometimes it takes a tragedy or something, but you know what you went through in the past, even if it wasn't being you, because it just makes you more you now. Um, somebody else we're going to have on the podcast, uh, Joanne Bracken, and I've taken courses with her on this before. Um, she's my spiritual advisor, but she... It teaches a lot about um, ancestry. So yeah. her, her so she, she's a mix of, um, you know, believing that we are spirits having a human experience, which can suck sometimes. But she teaches about um, <laughs> like ancestral karma and shit like that. So basically it talks about, there's a lot of science behind it. Whether you believe like you're carrying your ancestors karma or not, you can just look at it purely scientific as far as DNA is concerned. And I love, it's so funny. This is a terrible example, but the story or the movie Frozen 2, have you seen that? Oh yeah. Okay. Of course, I have three kids. Oh, like a million times where Olaf talks about how water holds memory. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy what water, what water does hold. But whether you're talking about cells or water or any kind of living organism and how they they make and hold on to DNA, that DNA gets reproduced. So essentially you're holding on to the experiences that and memories that have happened to your ancestry. And it's just what part of the DNA it was in that cellular makeup that you're getting, our parents got from their parents. Um, it's whatever makeup of that fucking crazy ass life before and other 8,000 lives that, you know, that you get. Um, kind of makes up that protocol I was talking about, makes up you. And then it's that nurture nature that it's all whatever the fuck happens on earth from there that makes everybody's yeah. amazing life story. I find that stuff so interesting. I do too. And I, it's funny because everyone thinks, you know, being married to someone in the military that like we all, I don't know how to explain it, but there's this, there's this perception. Anyone can stereotype anything, any lifestyle, any person, yeah. whatever, but there's this, belief that everyone in the military is a right-wing, you know, Christian, Republican, they all believe the same thing. And, and that's not true for me whatsoever. 
And it's only a little bit true for my husband. And so we're, we're both very like, Mm. you know, the old, everything happens for a reason. Every, every, have you ever seen the meme? It's not really even a meme, but it's like a drawing of what people perceive as a path of progress. And it's like a angled, like straight up a mountain, but then it's like squiggly lines, what progress actually looks like. Uh Same sort of thing is that your your um, where you're supposed to be and everything happens for a reason path in life is not it, it doesn't have to do as much with what you are you know my husband's a pilot he grew up Catholic he's a Republican whatever as it does with how you use like you said the ancestral gifts, whatever, and your past and your history and what you can see as the future for your individual self, your personal goals, your family, your, you know, where you want to see your marriage in 10 years or your kids in 10 years, you, you make up those things with components from everywhere. You know, you may have conservative views on one thing, but super liberal views on another thing. Like I do, I'm like a mix of all these things. And that's everything in life. Like everything in life is like a, a, mixture of what you pull from each experience and each thing that may have happened to you in this life. And if you believe in past lives in another life, if it happened to someone else in your family and like, you know, those experiences were passed down, it's you're pulling little pieces from the air, like little pieces of dust fluttering around and it makes up the big ball of dust that you are. But (laughs) I, I try with my kids to let them, you know, we let them fail all the time. You know, you want to jump off the roof into the trampoline have at it. You're going to break an arm and we're going to be at the hospital with all the COVID patients, but have at it. Um, because that you, happen? you have to No, we don't even have a okay. trampoline, but oh, our good. neighbors do. And my kids' best friends do. And there's, how about if we jump on, you hear them in the other room, like plotting these things. And you're like, they're literally plotting their own demise. And they, they're not even aware. They're not even aware that they're about to literally kill themselves and all their friends just by quote, trying to have fun. I never look at a person as a sum of just its parts. Like I think a person is a sum of all kinds of parts and experiences and, and timeframes. Like in our marriage, we call them seasons. So we had the mm. season where Becky was like a hardcore career woman making 120 grand a year and, mm. you know, dominating the investment world. And we had a season where Becky was a stay at home mom and baked cookies and did play dates and went to Bible study Um, and now we have a season where I work in the building that all three of my kids go to school. So, uh, you know, there's seasons and there's going to be another season when Jared leaves the military and we have to navigate that, but it's not as black and white and boxed up tied with a pretty bow as it was when I was in my twenties, because I realize now, like you said, hindsight being 2020, it's everything's all intertwined and intermingled with who we were 20 years ago and who will be 20 years from now and the people in our lives and the people no longer in our lives. I I have a, who I would have considered my best friend and we parted ways three years ago. And it's, it's still a very strange thing because we were in each other's lives daily, not physically, we're both military wives. We move all the time, but we were in each other's lives daily for 11 years. And I, and we just completely parted ways, but her, everything that I experienced with her and every conversation we ever had and every glass of wine and fire pit and, and, you know, meal without kids, it's still part of my conscience and part of my, who I am and my, my makeup and my dust ball. Um, I can't just like my brother, I can't talk to him anymore. I can't talk to her anymore, but she's still there. She's still part of my life and she's still part of how I ended up and you know, all those things. 
Wow. I love the dust ball analogy. He, what is the line from dust? He was born and dust. He shall be. Mm -hmm. And the moral of the story, kids, I <laughs> always like to ask, um, what do you think happened? Why do you think we're here on earth? If for any reason, and what do you think happens when we pass? Interesting because you can look at that question two ways. Well, I'll do the first, the first part. Why are we here on earth? I think people have been trying to answer that question for centuries. And I think the, the bottom line answer is it's different for everybody. I mean, there's no, there's no one answer of why the human population was created. And, you know, we live amongst the animals, but we harm them. We live amongst the plants, but we use them for paper. There's no, there's no one answer. Um, I think it's different for everybody. I think it's different for every culture. Like our answer in America is going to be far different than someone in Zimbabwe's answer or, you know, a Bushman in Australia. Everyone's got a different, different answer. For me, the purpose of life is to raise good kids that aren't assholes that are functioning members of society to not take more than I give and to live in a way that I can be proud of when I die, which kind of parlays into the, my answer to the second question, which is what happens when we die. And that's when I said, you can look at that two ways. You can look at it like, what happens to my physical being, you know, the spirit afterlife or whatever. But for me, the only thing that really matters to me after I die is like, what kind of legacy did I leave? Not so much like, did I leave my kids each a million dollars? Did I leave, you know, some big beach property or something? For me, it's like, did I leave a legacy of people will remember me and be like, she was cool as shit. She helped me out of this jam. She did a great job running the school that my kids went to. She, um, you know, raised good humans. She gave as much as she could. It's it, for me, it's like a, it's the Beatles song. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. It's all that matters to me is that at, at the mm -hmm. end of my life, people will look back and be like, she did cool shit. She was a good person. She raised good kids. She, it, it's all about the heart and I don't want to leave a wake of chaos in the world, in my family, in my career. I just don't want to leave a wake of chaos. It's even more important to me now, I think, because as my kids have gotten older, when my kids were little, let's just face it, it was a shit show. It was a daily <laughs> shit show. I don't consume caffeine, which shocks people. They're like, how do you survive three children with no caffeine? I don't consume caffeine. I haven't had caffeine in 15 years. The little kid age was a shit show. Jared was deploying all the time. But now that my kids have gotten older, it's more important important to me that they like learn the positive ways of the world. And they're not like, I need a new iPhone and I need these new shoes. Mm -hmm. And I, they need to learn like the heart of life. As John Mayer always says, the heart of life is good. That that's the important thing that you get out of life and not, I got to make a bunch of money and I got to do this and I got to have this bag and this car and whatever. That's what's important. And that's a legacy that Jared and I want to leave behind. Like, we don't care about the money. We don't want to get them a big house. We don't want to pay for college. So they don't have to worry about anything. We just want them to see all the positive and the good in the world and, and find, find the problem they want to solve. Because there's a million problems. Don't create more. Love so that. It all comes down to your legacy being what people can look back and, and say about you in a good light. I, I feel like I've grown from this conversation. So thank you. And your dust ball today. I do want to know what you mean by radical love. Love your enemies is equal, if not more than you love your friends kind of a person. I, I have zero tolerance for certain things. Like I have zero tolerance for child abuse. Um, I have zero tolerance for like rapists, that kind of thing. But I feel like anybody else, they need love just like the rest of us. And so I'm a radical love person. Now, what's interesting about this is we've moved 
to Oklahoma, which is center of the Bible Belt. It is judgment territory. Yeah. If you're not like me, you're not good enough. If you're not like me, you're doing it wrong. If you don't believe the Bible the way I believe the Bible, you ain't a proper Christian. And I'm, I can't do that. I'm, I'm a tie-dye wearing, card-carrying, non-pot-smoking hippie. And I believe in radical love in that you, you love all the same way that you love all the rest. And that at some point that, you know, talk about karma and generational karma, that will circle back. It, I may not see it in my lifetime, but it may benefit my kids in some way. It may teach them to do the same thing, which may benefit some other generation someday or some other completely different, you know, genealogical line. Uh, now, I mean, there are certain people, I, I'm not going to say I don't pass judgment because there are certain people like people I see walking around with a thousand dollar iPhone and no case on it. You're getting judged because that's just <laughs> stupid. Don't do that. You're going to bust the phone and have a thousand bucks. But I try, I try my hardest to not judge people's choices. Um, you know, I, I'm a manager of 12 staff people here at the school. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes the things they do, I'm like, why would you do that? And mm -hmm. I don't mean like, why, like, what the hell were you thinking? I'm like, literally, why would you do it that way? And then when they tell me, I'm like, holy shit, that was a great idea. I would have never thought of that. But if you mm. don't give someone, if everyone in your life starts with an F and has to learn, earn an A, you're never going to see the benefit in that person on this planet. If you let everyone start wow. with an A, which is the radical love, everyone starts with an A and you have to fuck up down to an F and fail, fail with me. That I think the better way to go about life. I don't think you should make everyone have to prove themselves good and worthy. Make everyone prove themselves stupid and unworthy mm. for me. So that's amazing. That's, that's it. And I'm, yeah, I tell, I tell my kids all the time, everybody's different, just like you are different from me and you have to love everyone equally. I don't even say in spite of differences because mm -hmm. for me, it's love them because of their differences. Mm. And that's one of the reasons my kids go to a lot of school because they teach that, mm -hmm. um, you know, differences and cultural understanding is like a hallmark of the Montessori method. So that's why we're here. Peace, love, education. That's amazing and fits you so much. I also love the seasons analogy of your of marriage or even life. Um, and I love the season you're in because everything you just told us about you and your dust ball of life. Incredible life experience, fresh perspective. I'll ask the questions.